Welcome, everybody, to the latest edition of the Quarcast. It's episode 5, April 24th, 2020. That's right. We've made it to the last week of the month of April, I think. Um, I don't know. I've seen a lot of jokes about the fact that March lasted about 300 days long and that April was about five days. But here we are. We are into the fifth episode, the last of uh, one hand. I'm Owen Newkirk. He's Sean Shapiro. Sean, are staring at the, the mountain murals behind you, helping your sanity at all? <laughs> I mean, I'm not staring at them. They're behind me, so I'm kind of. I, I can only I can see them in the little in the little in the little picture of myself on this FaceTime, but no, I'm not the one staring at them. They're behind. <laughs> well, let's be let's be honest. Most people, when they do a FaceTime or a Zoom or anything where they're doing sort of a video chat. They spend more time looking at their own reflection than they do who they're talking to. Yeah, no, that's, I, I think that's true. Right. I try really hard not to, to look at who I'm talking to and whatever, but I think we all sort of go, look at each other, and then we go, ew, is that, Yeah. what's wrong? <laughs> I'm sure it's always worse in our own eyes than in anybody else's. I think it is, yeah. Uh, but vanity aside, uh, our be- beginning of our fifth Quarcast here comes with a ton of NHL news and yet nothing is happening but yet lots of things are being sort of workshopped and discussed and I think that's the interesting part of what we're going through right now Sean is as we go through this episode of the Quarcast we have no more definitive answers than we did the week before regarding timetables What's going on? Some states think they're going to start reopening things, including the state of Texas, although in a very small amount. Um, and yet we really haven't gotten any further along as far as knowing where the virus is and tests. And so there's a lot of things going on yet that that they don't know. And yet here we are with lots to talk about. Yeah, it's interesting because it's kind of a lot of this stuff is all it's both conjecture with some substance it's not anything nothing has real substance yet because that's the thing where we're we're kind of in this time where i I made this joke talking to someone the other day where not even a joke it's just true a lot of the times we talk about oh well could this happen or maybe this will happen a lot of the times that stuff is already known by the decision makers or people at top who are just there's the cloak and dagger hey we're waiting for the right time to reveal this or right now 10 people in the world know this it's not like 10 it's it's not like there's a committee of 12 people sitting in the nhl office and saying okay we're gonna start july 15th and we're gonna play every it's it's a kind of a point of global ignorance for everyone and just from a fact where we don't know what is going to happen there's ideas that are going to be that they've talked about and maybe they get tried, maybe they don't, but we're at a standpoint where what even the people who typically know, and then we try to, that that we sometimes try to to kind of chisel it out of them as media members. There's nothing to chisel. There's ideas to chisel, but, but there's, there's nothing as far as, Hey, I know deep down, you like, for example, the winter classic Jersey, just for example, the amount of times leading the months up into the where we would kind of push us, oh, what is this Winter Classic jersey like? Have you, or can you tell us? And they're all like, oh, I don't know. It'll right. look nice. They, they knew what it looked like for months. Like things like that where it just kind of from a media perspective of you can try and dig and dig and dig. And there's at least something to dig for. Here there's – I mean there's ideas, but there's nothing 
to dig for at the end right now. Now, one of the latest ideas that was kicked around, and again, maybe workshopped is the right word for it. Maybe Mm -hmm. it's just being tossed out to see if there's enough positive bounce back or feedback that then would lead to them to looking into it further. Or uh, the other side of it, which I thought that your colleague Pierre Lebrun, who did a lot of the reporting on this, uh, very interestingly pointed out was the fact that a lot of times the NHL commissioner, Gary Bettman, or his deputy, Bill Daly, say something. It's not so much that they're stoking the fire of, let's see how the other executives and GMs in the league feel about this or ownership. It's more trying to let them come to terms with this is probably how it's going to be. And we're just letting you have a chance to digest it before we announce it as official and public. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of a little bit, it's kind of a, not a mandate, but it's a, Hey, this is going to happen. Right. It's, it's the reason sometimes leaks happen on, on things too, where sometimes leaks are from a perspective of let's test to see how this goes over with the public. And sometimes leaks are, Hey, this is happening. And we don't mind it trickling out for a couple of days before we give this big announcement. So the thing we're referring to, of course, is the fact that the league this week was discussing the possibility of hosting their offseason NFL NHL entry draft. Of course, the NFL draft just started yesterday in uh-huh. June, which would, of course, mean that it would happen before the season of 2019-2020 was completed and a Stanley Cup winner was awarded. They may still not be able to do that. We don't know. Um, It seems, Sean, that with all the talk, that we're not anywhere near a point where they would be saying that they the the drop-dead date of we can't do a playoff or we can't do a a completion of the regular season. So I'm not – I don't think we're anywhere near that go-no-go line. And and there's too much – I mean, the big thing is we're going to keep having – I think – I, if, if we're being realistic, I don't think we could even expect them to say, oh, we're done until August is the earliest. Just because right. we're going to just we're gonna keep having – so right now the quarantine at stay-at-home order goes for NHL players goes through April 30th. We get to April 30th, they'll probably be extended to May 15th. I'm just picking a random date out of a hat. And just and for, for context, the uh, email I got yesterday was a release from Major League Soccer, which just did that exact thing, extended it to middle of May. And the reason why they didn't do it earlier is just simply why – we've said this on the Quarkast before. They're keeping their options open even though they know this isn't going to change in that period of time. Yeah, just keep kicking it down the line, keep kicking it down the line right. until – since you don't have to make a decision that way. And because the other reason you haven't made a decision that way is someone asked me, it's like, why don't they just pull the plug on this? Why don't they just – the issue, one of the biggest things is there's too much – and this is why a lot of things happen in life. There's too much money on the line to be made or not to be made. Yep. And that, <clears throat> yep. that kind of, that, that's a big factor here where will the NHL – the NHL basically say, nope, we're done. We're just going to cut it. Them saying that right now potentially cuts out millions of dollars. It loses them millions of dollars. Maybe they lose those millions of dollars either way. But if they say, hey, we're going to end the season, and then all of a sudden July rolls around, looks like, hey, you know what? We could have done something. They don't want to put themselves in that position. So we're just going to keep getting kind of this rolling, kick the ball down the line, kick the ball down the line until it gets to the point where that ball is going to bump into the tw- <laughs> too far in too far into the 2020, 2021 season. And then you have to make a decision of, is kicking this ball down worth ruining 
that next batch. So, so uh, your colleague Pierre said he, by uh, about six hours ago, as of this recording, had touched base with 28 sources from uh, the 31 front offices. I, I don't think he included Seattle in that discussion. But, you know, I mean, they're one year closer to that. Uh, said there was a lot more negative feedback than po- positive. I think 15 of the 28 said no. I think he got, if I remember correctly, eight yeses, and then a bunch of, I think it was... Or no, sorry, uh, five yeses and then eight maybes or no comments. Um, so the prevailing sense is more no's than yeses. But I did find uh, Jim Nill, Stars General Manager's comments. He was the actually only source quoted in the article that Pierre sent out uh, yesterday, not not the one from a few hours ago, who did point out, Sean, one of the big positives, which was it's it's it would be under the normal time for the scouting community that they're used to, so players are still fresh in their minds or as fresh as they can be without being able to see the conclusion of the junior season or playoffs, which didn't happen this year around. There's no um, Memorial Cup run for anybody, for Canadian juniors, no playoff rounds, which obviously I think I think that most scouts probably have their decisions made as, on what players are, but sometimes we've seen before those uh, performances and playoffs, good or bad, can really sort of cap off a, a thought or evaluation. It's a nice sentiment, but I think it's a forced pro. Like, sure. like honestly, like, <laughs> I, like, no, no, seriously, I think it's like, oh, wait, what are the pros and cons of holding the draft in June? I think if you think about, oh, well, it would be nice because they're fresh in our mind. This is what they do for a living. Whether I t- they're, True. Joe McDonnell is going to have his list, whether it's June 30th or September 30th, it's going to be... It's gonna. He's gonna make a similar pick. Just to be frank, like it's not gonna be. I don't. I think just saying, oh, it's fresh in the scout's mind and everything like that. I think that's just a nice sentiment to kind of force a pro on a pro cons list, because. So let's I, add one more pro to that, and maybe okay. the, maybe the more important of the two, it would be a big event to give hockey a public platform uh, and some attention during a time where there is nothing to talk about for hockey other than the conjecture and speculation. And, and that's that's true to an extent, but this the issue is with with so many things unsettled and so many things like this. One of the, I think really the NFL. It's not. I mean, I know people are going to look. Oh, look, the NFL draft is grabbing attention, and people are going to look at it that way. But the NFL draft, there's it's this is the off season. It's a normal time for this. One of the reasons I think a lot of NH. So you have kind of different tiers of NHL fans in my mind, but there's a lot of NHL fans who only watch the draft because of the trade possibilities, because we're not talking about drafting players who will play right away. While there are some people who will definitely watch the draft and be like, okay, I'm getting excited about this and, and I'm going to, I'm going to do that. There are a lot of people who really, when you're watching the draft, you're saying, okay, well, what type of trades could happen on this day? What type of movement could, could this because do? Because that has and, more of an immediate impact or effect yeah. than drafting because unlike the NFL which is drafting players for specific needs for the upcoming season you're talking about a, a couple of players a year out of over 200 drafted that actually yeah. play the next year so like I don't like the idea like just I'll, I'll say that I, right. I think it's I like I think it's dumb to to host I think I think you're creating for all of the cons of some of the things where people bring up like the people, the pros of having it in June before the season resumes, I've seen people like one thing I says, Oh, well we don't want to take players away from Europe. 
tough luck. Like, I mean, honestly, most of the players drafted from Europe are going to play in Europe next year anyway. And if a guy is that good to make the NHL roster, it'll just be he'll come to training camp and then go back. Like, I mean, to me, all of the ideas, like the pros of, okay, it's something for, you know what, for two days, it'd be great. We, we'd get around to our computer. We'd watch the draft. It'd be nice. It'd be a nice escape for two days. I admit that. But I think the cons way outweigh it greatly. Oh, There's way too you're absolutely right, Sean. The, the, the list of reasons why not to do this are much longer than the reasons why. I wanted to yeah. just give those some gen- gentle thoughts because the complications surrounding things like, as you mentioned, the draft order and also the uh, conditional picks that are assigned v- via trade deadline moves have to be figured out if you're going to do it ahead of time. Not to mention there probably won't be those player trades because how could you possibly play, trade a player from your current roster after a trade deadline and still somehow manage to get into that? And and then, of course, the other thing that uh, Pierre brought up quite a bit was the concern of a team that was on the bubble, maybe, yeah. maybe wins the draft lottery, picks in the top three, and then sneaks into the playoffs a couple months later during, when they resume and then wins the Stanley Cup. And so now is the Stanley Cup champion. I, I know that the odds of that are slim, but yeah. let's say a bubble team gets in and also wins the lottery, and so then you sort of get double jeopardy. Yeah, I don't... I mean, it's it, to me, there's too many... It, it, there's, there's too many mass issues with hosting the draft in June, and the ones that come hosting in September or even October or whatever you do, those are minor ones where, okay... It's case by case, and we fit. Okay, so Team X has a prospect they drafted from Europe. Okay, well, you know what? We, we like him. He's going to go to training camp, and then he'll go back. We'll mend our relationship. They'll understand it was a global pandemic. Like, I I don't uh, – I, I, I know I, – I just don't see enough positives that actually make sense for this. And the other thing is if you're going to do this way, it, it creates just kind of a weird – it creates a very odd circumstance and other things where you're going to get teams looking for other loopholes that don't make sense. Like, so no, just no, like hypothetical, say the New York Rangers win the draft lottery. Okay. okay. Hypothetical, which is possible. And they get the first pick. You're not telling me they're going to push to get Lafreniere into four or five games. They'll try. They'll try. I mean, and, and, and like, it's just, it's things like that where it's just, it just make it's, it's so much cleaner to finish this season or call this season over and then do the draft lottery. Do the draft lottery in the draft. So let's now move to the other side of the hypothetical discussions that have been coming out the last couple of days. And uh, again, a lot of stuff in The Athletic. You you had something on it this morning, which is essentially a, a summary of what we're going to talk about here. But um, I also thought there was a really interesting bit of information from Frank Saravelli, who posted for TSN about this. And the league is kicking around just, again, probably early stages of having sort of regional locations. If they were to do a uh, a restart of the season, instead of having every team play in its own building and travel all over the country, to have sort of uh, regionalized, uh, I, I wouldn't say centralized, but sort of four places where they play, where maybe things fit. Instead, and have up to upwards of eight teams, which would be one quarter of the league, uh, minus one team of Seattle, of course. And, Sean, some of the 
they started, you know, of course, everybody's going to have an opinion on which cities should be involved. The first big step of this was moving away from that early idea, maybe last month of neutral sites that were not NHL cities. They talked about, you know, North Dakota or Manchester, New Hampshire. I said, boy, you know, Kansas City would has that big rink there that the Stars have played at before in preseason. Any place would love to host. Well, the leagues sort of stepped back from that and said, yeah, you know, it wasn't really that serious. We're going to use NHL facilities. Makes sense. So, of course, uh, locations are being tossed around. And uh, before I get to your breakdown of which ones make more sense, per Gary Bettman, who was cited in this article by Frank, listed sort of the criteria. And this is interesting. Obviously, they can't be a COVID-19 hotspot. That, I think, goes Mm -hmm. without saying. It has to be in a region that has opened up enough that they can safely house teams, players, maybe not with fans, but at least move this around to a point where they're not in an imminent risk of infection players and spreading and all that stuff. Then... They have to have lots of ice for practice facilities because if you have upwards of eight, you know, anywhere between uh, six to eight teams in one location, they can't just play games. They have to have practices. Training camp beforehand, there have to be the appropriate facilities where those teams can go and practice. You know, do you need eight sheets of ice? Probably not because you could have four and split time. There could be two teams practicing, but you need to have more than just a game rink. Um, And then... Uh And then speaking of the game rink, you have to have, uh, the commissioner said, at least four NHL caliber locker rooms in each venue because if you want to get three games in per day, which is would be 12 if you do the math, that's 12 NHL games every single day. So not every team would play if by this model. But if you're going to have six teams there, you have to have at least four locker rooms so you can have two teams using them as they play two teams set up for the next game, and then you'd probably have to shuffle the first ones out, clean and properly sanitize them before the final two teams go in the first team's locations. And that would then lead to a couple of funny side notes, Sean, of do you think, it, let's say Dallas gets picked, and we'll go through the cities here yeah, in a yeah, moment. Yeah. Do you think the Dallas Stars want another NHL team using their locker room at the American Airlines Center? Probably not, but it's <laughs> no, probably not. But even if if it was to come to Dallas, I don't think the Stars locker room would be used by another team. And we can get further into that. We can kind of get further into that because yes, I mean, essentially, with where we are on this, um, as of right now, from what we know, is there's uh, the NHL is vetting about twelve cities right now. Correct. Uh, the cities we've heard of by name are uh, Minnesota, Edmonton, Toronto, Pittsburgh, Columbus, and Dallas. Um, there's her, There's ones that we know probably aren't on there for certainty. Um, like, for example, we know the Islanders and with what's happening in New York. Yeah, Madison Square going, Garden is not going to be a host uh, venue right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. And, and you could you could probably you could probably say that entire area is probably you can maybe you could probably say New Jersey and Brooklyn. I mean, you could say New Jersey's not going to happen. Um, there's a uh, there'd be a sense of irony of yeah. of Barclays Center in Brooklyn because it would be a non hockey setup arena, but it's it's also it's it's still New York. It's yes, not gonna happen. I, I know uh, not a chance. Yeah, but yeah, you notice yeah. it, it looks like the entire eastern coast, east, this eastern seaboard yeah. as we refer to it, is out. Yeah, it seems that way. Uh, I mean, yeah, Toronto is probably the farthest one 
East you're looking at, if you think about it. And the interesting thing um, about Toronto is Toronto has a relatively high number of coronavirus cases, especially yeah. for the province of Ontario. But there's a lot of facilities set up. And, of course, there's a lot of pull that maybe would want to have, say, yeah. a location in Canada and Toronto. Interestingly, Sean, about that, too, is that I feel like there are other very good NHL venues in Canada that would be better than Toronto, not necessarily facility-wise, but because of the fact that they have fewer coronavirus cases. Yeah, I was actually surprised uh, Tampa wasn't listed here, just as something where it is a market that has had... Now, obviously, hosting a Frozen 4 versus this is different, but it's something that has obviously hosted Frozen 4s, has a sports commission and a team that has aggressively pursued things like that. Well, nothing's been like this before, but aggressively, aggressively pursued big things before. So I was actually surprised Tampa isn't on the list. I would, I would wonder personal, just person, just like thinking out loud, I would wonder in that list of 12, if Tampa's maybe on the list, but we don't know that. No. Uh, the, uh, you, get it, the it, you get the feeling that they want Raleigh to be on the list for the, <laughs> fact that it's a metropolitan city so you can get that you have a lot fewer cases than new york city necessarily but they are having they just don't meet all the criteria with the facilities at the moment do they not really i mean it's also a place too where even the setup for road for visiting nhl teams right now is probably one of the lesser ones compared to others across the league right now so it's not the the hurricanes have a beautiful setup but the the uh the visiting setup is still not that great um and so i mean this kind of brings us to where and this is what i wrote about this morning was dallas is high on this list if you're looking at tiers of places that will be considered and to me one of the biggest things that puts dallas high on this list there's lots of geographical factors that come into play but the biggest thing that makes this something the nhl looks at is you look at the relationship right now and you look at some of the factors that put certain tiers on themes like this and with how well dallas handled the nhl draft with how well they handled the winter classic with how how all of those things were handled the nhl loves dallas they love working yep. with the stars they love working with the dallas sports commission they obviously weren't thrilled with the winter classic ratings but that's not something that dallas could control and this is something where they're not really get, where they're going doesn't really impact the ratings correct so and so this is the thing where they there is both sides both the nhl and dallas have a history recent history and the NHL has gone and they've labeled Dallas as a, as a franchise and a city that can handle big events. And so, and then on top of that, you just start adding the things. The other, the other big thing that I, that I look at too is obviously, and this is not to, 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 to talk down on any other rink situation anywhere. Obviously, they have enough rinks in Toronto. They have enough rinks in Minnesota. But in a situation like this, flexibility is going to be huge. Having flexibility and having control of a situation. The Stars, as we both know, they run eight rinks in the Dallas-Fort Worth area already. You could, in theory, you could bring eight different, you could bring, say, the Stars plus seven more. Yep. You could have eight NHL teams host a full week training camp, completely isolated from everyone else, and that could be their base of activities, and they could just show up to the American Airlines Center on game day, go to the hotel, 
and it's all controlled by Dallas. There's no additional negotiation to, hey, we need to rent out this rink for this long. We don't. We need to pay this person or that person. Instead, it's just one person you're negotiating with in the star centers as a group that's that's run by the stars. So there is there's a lot of factors that make this that make Dallas a very viable option. And on top of that, the other thing is just. Another minor thing that I think that comes into this is you look at the airports too and you look at the situation of getting to Dallas because I don't think – I think right now you're going to want players to have as little movement. This is just me guessing right now. I think you're going to want players – if this were to happen, you want players to have as little movement as possible. So if you have – if you're the – if you're the New York Rangers, they, if you're the New York Rangers, you're probably not going to have all your players fly to New York to hop on a charter plane to to somewhere. You're just going to say, okay, everyone, we need you to get to this place. Let's say it's Columbus. Yes, exactly. We're not going to have everyone fly to Columbus to charter a plane to Dallas. Right. So having a big airport and having that easy thing where you can get guys back from Sweden, you can get guys back from Russia, that's not uncommon with Dallas. So that it, it's kind of it, it all fits. Um, if there's a big con with this, with 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 Dallas, and it's just something that they'll have to figure out, and and maybe it's not because there won't be fans and the doors won't be open for a couple hours. Is what about the ice? Just because it does, it gets hot here. It's it well, gets really hot in the summer. <laughs> it, it, it's the you know Glendale is on the list for um, you know for Arizona at being a host, which again would be uh, the same issue uh, if you hosted in Florida. It would be super hot and humid. If you, because again, we're talking now here in April, end of April, Sean, but they're not going to get going before middle of July at the earliest. So July, August, September, scorching hot here in Texas, as we know, and that's not ideal for hockey, but at the same time, it's indoors and they can run their air conditioning, but it's, it's more of the, you know, I was trying to think about that. Like, why would you pick St. Paul, Minnesota over Dallas, Texas in this regard? Well, right now you wouldn't, I think Dallas would make sense, but in three months, Minnesota is going to be more temperate uh, or you know nicer weather for that time of year even though it's an indoor sport you still have to be outdoors and so that may be a consideration and then the other thing is that if that's really a big deal then just put them all in canada yeah i mean it's <laughs> yeah it, it, it's interesting i mean you have and also also i think it, the ice would not be as as good but it's it's the same it's the same situation where so much of the ice conditions when ice gets bad in warm weather places in the playoffs, it's also part of all the people coming in, the doors being open. You're not going to have any people. That's a good point. Any, yep. You're, you're not going to have any doors open. So, therefore, it's going to be a controlled environment, and the players aren't even going to be entering through those doors anyway. We we know the underground tunnel through the American Airlines Center, so they'll be just coming in that way. So you're not going to have to worry about – well, that's an interesting um, thought. That that yeah. does make a huge difference to have those do- the doors open and close all the time when people come in. Um, one last quick tidbit before we move on to our next segment, Sean, would be Tyler Sagan was in the news a bit this week because he he made a couple of different appearances which were quite entertaining. One, he did a one-on-one with Craig Custance, your colleague at The Athletic, on his athletic podcast called The Full 60. He's been doing that for several years now, even before I think it was officially an athletic podcast, if I remember correctly. Um, and so, the really nice sit-down. I'm not just plugging that. Um, there were a lot of fun conversations about Sagan, particularly going back to when he was, uh, bef- before he was a, a pro, playing in, you know, as a as a youth player, and then 
the whole Taylor Hall, Tyler Sagan part, those were really fascinating things in their conversation because Craig being from Michigan was actually part of that beat and covering things, you know, with the Red Wings, but also uh, with Tyler being with the Plymouth Whalers at the time was were in Michigan. And so that was really interesting. Um, I would encourage anybody that wants to listen to stuff with Tyler. Remember, he was on Bad Radio last week. So he's been around and, and answering some stuff. But then, Sean, by far the part that was the most entertaining this week was the Boston Bruins, who I don't know if it was a coincidence or not, about a week ago, NBC aired the 2011 cup-clinching Game 7 between the Bruins and the Vancouver Canucks on TV. I taped it and watched it. And it wasn't much of a game in the sense that Boston dominated the the goal scoring and Vancouver couldn't beat Tim Thomas. But the Bruins had a virtual reunion of that team with 21 of the players. There were a few notable, uh, you know, omissions that guys that weren't there, but pretty much all of them, including Tyler Sagan were on a zoom call and they watched the whole game. It was what about a two and a half hour zoom yeah. recording. And it was really fascinating because it's a group of guys just busting each other's chops for the entire time. It's it's an uncut thing, too, where as far as you get some – this was on the Bruins' official YouTube channel. And so I'm sure there's some things that the Bruins' official YouTube channel probably wasn't happy <laughs> that it was coming out. I mean, for example, you talk about – they're not just talking about that game. When they're talking about uh, uh, Milan Lucic destroying Ryan Miller – during that season when, when he was with the Sabres. And now, Milan Lucic has no care about what happens to the Boston Bruins social media channels no. anymore at all. And a lot of the, and, and you have them talking about that. I mean, it was, it's so, it's, it's, it was uncut. It was fascinating. It was, it was, I really, I was actually, because right after it happened, the Bruins initially locked it, locked the video. <laughs> um, and then they opened it up the next day with the disclaimer, this is for mature audiences, which I'm glad they did. But it was, uh, you definitely got to see this, some of the personalities. You got to see some of the, uh, and it paired well with, it was interesting because it paired well with having listened to, uh, I mean, listened to Tyler's discussion with Craig. Yes. Tyler talks a lot about that cup run and how he kind of now he would never trade that cup for anything. He wouldn't do that. But the fact that it's something he wishes he he remembers looking around and looking across the room and seeing Shara and Recky and seeing how much it meant to them. And not that it didn't mean something to him as a 19 year old, but you don't understand. You take it for granted. You take the Stanley Cup kind of almost for granted at that point in your career until you realize and you look around and see what these veteran guys have gone through and, and things like that. And I remember on the uh, Tyler said this before just this week's podcast with Craig, because he's mentioned it numerous times, just how much fun it was, but he didn't appreciate just how hard it is to get there because he went to the Stanley cup final his rookie year and won the cup. And then two years later, they went to another Stanley cup final where they played the Chicago Blackhawks in 2013 and he said, geez, you know, this is like an every year occurrence. And why didn't they go, uh, you know, before that? Well, you know, I mean, he just thinks, oh, well, we can do this. We'll be fighting for a Stanley Cup all the time. Then he gets traded to Dallas and, you know, made a couple playoff appearances, but not the every and Boston hasn't either. The point yeah. is, is that he realizes as he matures, like we all do, that things are a little bit harder to attain 
than you think when you're a kid. And it's not just, you know, opportunity doesn't knock on the door every day. So he, it, it, I would, obviously he said, he said as much, he said, I'd never trade away that cup, but it would be fun to ask Tyler now how much different a second Stanley cup now that it's been 10 years, how much more he would, it would mean or appreciate because of his experience compared to when he was a rookie and going, Hey, this is great, isn't it? Yeah. The cup stuff is interesting. The other thing that I really, um, the other thing I found interesting too, just, and, and we know Tyler has talked about making Dallas home. One thing that actually kind of perked my ears up talking to when all this, he mentioned how he plans, he kind of, looks at Dallas's home and he's planning to start spending his off season yes. in Dallas. He had always um, gone up to his cottage in Ontario. Yeah, and he had the place up in Toronto and, and and that was something that was interesting to me. Um and it was something where I actually know, for example I actually know like for example, Jamie Ben and Jordy Ben both have green cards. They live in Dallas full year round. When they retire they'll be able to stay in Dallas for as long as they want. Um I know it's actually something that people at the stars have t- mentioned to Tyler before of, Hey, if you really are committing here and you want to stay here, you can, you should get a green card. And now getting a green card kind of part of the process is essentially the, there's, there's a lot more details that go into this, but the simplest part of it is the time commitment where you have to stay in the United States for three months without leaving. So you can't do it during an NHL season, right? Because you, because you go to and from Canada. And it would, you, you would have to time it perfectly where the schedule was, and especially with Canadian teams in your division, being yeah. Winnipeg, to have a three-month window where you didn't travel to Canada is, is nearly impossible in the schedule, isn't it? Yeah, and it's, it's one of those things where it's funny. Like when Mark Mathot, Mark Mathot almost got his green card when he went through his injury that last year in Dallas – um, but ultimately, they decided they were going to move back to Ottawa. They had been thinking about staying in Dallas, um, but then they found this dream house in Ottawa and ended up going going back there. Um, but so Sagan, and I'm actually it's something where it's a question. I'm actually curious to ask Tyler at some point, whenever we do have a chance to to talk to him again in a more kind of relaxed environment about this. Is is he now going to do what Jamie and Jordy did? Is he going to basically get a green card? Is he going to stay in Dallas? And I mean, I know, now we're talking about. I know we're randomly talking about immigration during the core cast, which is wonderful, but, uh, but I know, but I, I know it's something that, for example, um, Jason Raidman stretches. We know who the stars team services guy, when players have green cards or they are also, or they have dual citizenship, like Jamie Alexiak does, it makes his life so much easier. Cause for example, an interesting thing, an interesting fallout of whole, of this whole, um, and someone will have to do this story if the NHL comes back will be on the NHL team services people for Anton Hudobin's visa is going to expire July 1st. Right. Cause it, cause it's, it's, it's done by the team. So his, his visa is going to, if the players that contract expired July 1st, their visas and their, uh, and they're going to have to re, they're going to have to get paper. They're going to have to do some sort of to, extension or ex- get a new visa. Extension or new visa or some sort of immigration where for this. And now obviously it's the, so that's another kind of big moving part of all of this where and it happens even for people even forget this same thing applies to Canadians too. I mean, uh, you, if a guy is Canadian, he still needs to get a visa and paperwork to work in the U S. And so if his contract expires on July 1st and you're from Toronto, you need to get new paperwork and, 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 and another visa, um, which is for, but for guys who have like, uh, Jamie Alexiak has dual citizenship, um, Jamie Ben has Jamie Ben's obviously contract is fine. His visa would have been 
good for a long term anyway but since he got the green card the stars basically treat him like an american citizen it's right. like that's whenever they travel so it's uh it's it's another kind of wrinkle to all of this and um it was just something randomly that popped in my head when tyler mentioned he lives in i also i also thought it was funny when tyler talked about how we should have given him a uh, free subscription to the uh to the <laughs> athletic after the, the yes. Jim lights comments and, and yes not you, only- got, you got mentioned during that part and, and you know, so not only, so Craig isn't kidding. So Brent Burns has obviously, you heard the whole thing about Brent Burns pushing to get a free subscription. And, and got Craig one. Actually, Craig actually bought, personally bought Brent Burns a subscription. Joe Pavelski does the same thing to me, just to give you, not, not as, <laughs> not, not as pressing, but Joe Pavelski will, um, keeps talking every time we ask him questions or quite a few times during the season. He'd look at Tom and says, well, I'm going to be like Bernsey. I'm not going to give any answers till they're buying me subscriptions. <laughs> so, so Craig has set up a uh, – I, I have to call Craig out on this. Craig has set up a very dangerous precedent for some of us. So. He crossed the line and now it's hard to go back, isn't it? And players talk. Yeah. Well, we mentioned that Tyler Sagan and this Bruins reunion was really entertaining and that Sagan felt very much as though this was going to happen every single year. Well, coming up next in the Quarcast, our Stars Classic game happens to tie in very nicely with Sagan's last game as a Boston Bruin. I'm going to tell you a story. Segment two of the Quarcast, episode five, is our classic game. And of course, this week we chose something that ties in with what we were just discussing with the Sagan and Boston connection. And so sort of fitting that we saw the 2011 Bruins reunion because this is an interesting timetable. We chose a game that was being re-aired by Fox Sports Southwest about a week ago. And... The game was from November 5th, 2013, Dallas Stars at the Boston Bruins. And why is that one interesting? Well, first of all, it was actually a pretty good game on itself, but it was attached to the fact that Tyler Sagan was traded on July 4th of that year to the Dallas Stars. November 5th was the first time that Dallas went to Boston since that. And I think even more interestingly, Sean, was... I forgot that Sagan played game six of the Stanley Cup final in 2013 in Boston at TD Garden on June 24th. And they lost in uh, in incredibly dramatic fashion. They they took the lead midway through the third period, looked like they were going to force a game seven back in Chicago. And then the Blackhawks scored two really quick goals in the final two minutes of the game to not only tie it, but win it and stun everybody in Boston. 
Ten days later, Tyler Sagan was traded to Dallas. I forgot that tidbit of how quickly he went from being so close to winning his second Stanley Cup, losing it, and then getting traded out of Boston. Yeah, that was a really quick turnaround. Um, was that the... Um, that was the... Was that the was that the season Chicago like started like the season of, like twenty six straight games without a regulation loss or something like that or is that a different Chicago Cup run? You know, it could be because it wasn't. I don't think that they were that good their first year. the The twenty ten was the of the three cups they won in their dynasty run of a decade. It mm-hmm. was twenty ten was the first one. That yeah. was the one where Auntie Niemi outdueled Michael Layton in the Philadelphia Flyers in the in the final. It could have been mm-hmm. the twenty thirteen run. Could have been. I try to remember, but any anywho. But so this was Ty- this was fun, Sean, because was, this was not just Tyler Sagan, right? It was the full trade. Yes. So Riley Smith and Louis Erickson, part of the deal that went from Dallas the other way, were both in the lineup. Uh, Rich Peverly was playing for Dallas, so it was his return to Boston as well. He was part of that Cup-winning team, and I thought one of the and then of course Jerome McGinley was playing for Boston, even though he never actually played for the Dallas Stars. Of course, he was a big part of the history of Dallas winning a cup with the trade for Neuendijk and the Calgary mm-hmm. Flames. But I thought the beginning of the game was kind of funny because on the opening faceoff, Louis Erickson was in the starting lineup, a nice appropriate measure by Claude Julien and the Bruins, but he couldn't get his chin strap to clip on his helmet, and so he he couldn't start the game. He had to go off with the equipment manager. It was pretty funny. That, was, just, that, was, that was kind of funny, yeah. It's yeah. like it's like the one you mentioned to me the other day of Kari sitting on the net at the end of the game in Calgary where Tyler scored yeah. four goals. Yeah. Did you ever talk to this is a quick digression of which we're very good at. Did you ever talk to Kari about why he sat on the net? Um, I haven't talked to him about that particular moment. I know I've talked to him about it before where it's he just kind of looks and says, I don't know. I there's something to do. Yeah. Like, That's sort of what I, I guessed. Yeah. <laughs> So another interesting tidbit about this game was this is uh, the first season that they had new shallower nets. The NHL had in effort to get a little bit more room behind the goal between the back of the net and the end boards actually made a slimmer profile by shrinking the depth of the nets a little bit. And they were talking about that on the broadcast. Yeah, that's something that I think that's something we – it's it's type it's one of those types of things that I think we made a really big like it's it's there's lots of small changes in the NHL and rules I think that we make a really big deal about before a season starts or something like just in the collective we the media the fans and everything like that and they probably do have an impact but we tend to forget about them after like if this broadcast had been if this game had been a broadcast from game 55 they wouldn't have talked I, about it they wouldn't have talked about it and nope. would have been no no one would remember like it's like i think that's funny just how it looks at things like uh, there's certain things that stay in the lexicon longer than others but a lot of times we'll be like oh well, this is a big deal or they're going to call particularly with officiating oh we're going to call <laughs> this we're going to call this like this more this year right and they'll they'll do it like hyper intensively for like eight or nine games and then all of a sudden it goes back to normal <laughs> so the stars took the lead early in this one and Sean you have made note of this because you've talked about his equipment Jamie Ben style of stick that he chooses and the flexibility that he chooses in the stick sets up for a really devastating snapshot. He says it's too whippy for a good one-timer, 
But less than four minutes into the game, we saw exactly the example of why that snapshot is so lethal. Yeah, really. I mean, nice. That's quite a release. It completely, it was Rask in this game, yep. right? Yeah. Yeah. Completely catches Rask off guard. I mean, it's, it's one of two, yeah, one of, one of two pucks that get past Rask this game where the shots just on releases that are hard to pick up and lethal, like lethal is, is the word there. I mean, um, it's funny we, we kind of we talk about a, a growing trend of maybe seeing our games our classic game past couple of weeks is I mean it's a primary assist for Val we're talking about a, <laughs> we're talking about the golden golden gold, we keep picking games from the golden age of Val Nachushkin so. and it's also I mean that 13 14 season you were seeing Ben Sagan Nachushkin flying around the ice mm-hmm. with speed now I saw some plays that Val made through this game which weren't as good as the last game we watched um, yeah. and uh, he had he got an assist in that, but he also he made some mistakes throughout the game. But again, this was a line that was it was kind of like I don't know if it reached the level of the Rantanen, Landeskog, and McKinnon, but it was thought of in that ve- that sort of vein, wasn't it? Um, I don't think it was ever thought of in the vein that they reached, but I think it was thought of as a potential the up be, and coming like yes. that. Yeah. So yeah. So that lasted less than a minute because the Bruins scored right back. Tori Krug at 4:16. Ben's goal was at 3:38. So, like I said, less than 60 seconds later, the Bruins tied it. And this was more Sean of what we what I saw in the first period, which was Dallas really struggling to break the puck out of their own zone with the Bruins' really aggressive forecheck. And for the most part, Kari Lettinen was very strong. But on this particular play, Riley Smith gave Tory Krug a backdoor tap-in. Yeah, and it was, I mean, obviously you talk about another revenge game, Riley Smith <laughs> having a bit of a, uh, having an impact against his old team. And obviously Riley's a guy that's, it's funny, because Riley's a guy that you and I both know a little bit better just yep. because of, um, this is when both of us were still covering, you were, you were in Texas, I was covering the AHL, we got to know Riley a little bit more. Um, and... Uh, I, dig- I, dig- I have no idea where I got, so I digress back to the game. Well, <laughs> Riley was a player that we both met because he was started with the Texas Stars the yeah. year of the lockout. Um, he had already burned a year off his contract because Joe Newendike, then the Dallas general manager, had decided to bring him out of college and play games in Dallas. It was what four games, I think it was, at the end so. of the 11-12 yeah. season. I yeah. don't know if Riley would have made the NHL opening night roster if the lockout hadn't started, but he was definitely a, a very good player. Yeah, he was. He was a good AHL player. He's still good. I mean, obviously, he's a good NHL player. You look at what happened now, where obviously one of the mistakes of the expansion draft was by Florida. Yes, with. very much so. Um, so it's one-one. The other thing that really stood out to me were a couple of physical plays in the first period. First, Johnny Boychuk absolutely blew up Eric Cole with a very clean hit. Uh, read it well. Cole tried to chip it by Boychuk with speed exiting the zone, and the Bruins defenseman said, the heck with the puck, I'm going to take out my guy, and he just annihilated Cole with an open ice hit that I thought was a thing of beauty. And then he jumps into Vern Fiddler because Fiddler came over with his gloves off to respond, and Boychuk said, well, I see him coming, and so he basically tackled Vern. I yeah. thought it was a great shift by Boychuk. I yeah, did. I mean, I mean, it was funny. It was comical too. Yeah, so. I mean, they didn't get fighting majors. Uh, they got roughing. It actually gave Vern the extra two because he instigated, even though he got tackled. 
Um, and then later in the period, Adam McQuaid got really angry at Jamie Ben because they kind of got their hands up a little pushing, shoving and McQuaid dropped his gloves and Jamie rightly ignored it. And Sean, this is one of the last examples that I can remember where a player did that and got called for a minor penalty for it. Yeah. It's been a long time. I mean, it's, we talked about that last week actually. Yes. Um, where they, yeah, I, yeah, it was, it was the right call. And, and it was the right decision by Jamie not to engage because he doesn't need to fight Adam McQuaid in this situation. Yeah. So you go to the second period of games tied at one. I thought Dallas actually played a very good period. They started skating and pressuring Boston more because I thought Boston was the better team in the first. Kari was very strong. Um, and in the second, the Stars didn't score on their opportunities, but they also defended well because they took some penalties they were a little sloppy with their stick work, and so they, they had to kill a couple of Boston power plays, and they were very good at that. But Sagan was hearing boos throughout the game, and in this period, you started to hear it more, and I thought it was a bit mystifying in the sense that it's not like he asked for a trade. It's not like he wanted out. He liked Boston, of course. He won a, a cup, and they went to a final. In, he went to the Stanley Cup final two of the first three years of his career, and so... Well, I get the animosity of fans because, hey, you're no longer part of our team. It didn't really. I didn't. They didn't boo Rich Peverly. Well, there's there's a difference between. I mean, it's gonna he's he's gonna get booed either way. But there's also a difference between getting shipped out and traded, um, and leaving in free agency. Like for John Tavares getting booed in his return to Long Island is more legitimate than Tyler Sagan getting booed Correct, in his return. Correct, because he, he made the conscious decision to yes. leave, even though he did, and you could argue, hey, he's done wonderful things for the Islanders for so long, but yes, you make a great point there. That was more of a conscious change than, Sagan had nothing to do with it as far as saying, get me out of here. Yeah. Um, go to the third period. The first thing I wrote down was, man, Rich Peverly is such a smart player. Now, this was not just for something he did in the third period. It's just watching the game. And, Sean, yeah. this was early. Of course, he had a, a big incident for his, his life and career later that season. But um, he's a – I remember watching Rich it, with Boston and even with the Thrashers in Atlanta. And seeing him play in this game just reminded me of – how smart he was. He was so, he was in the right place a lot. He made good plays. He was quick. He's elusive. Not a very big guy, but boy. And you wonder because it carries over. This was where my thought yeah. went off on a tangent was had Rich not had the episode where he collapsed and had to be revived and, of course, the heart troubles and everything, had he been able to just be a player in that season? The Stars played Anaheim in the first round of the 2014 playoffs. That having a healthy Rich Peverly would have been a huge boost to them. Could they have gone farther? Possible. I mean, it could have been. I mean, um, the other thing that's just fascinating to think about, I, and I've thought about this, and this is probably a question I may have to talk to Rich about at some time. I wonder when he, like, obviously, if he wanted to come back after his whole heart incident and was not able to. He tried just, for almost a full season. Yeah, he tried. He thought about it. I wonder if that had not happened with how he played and how smart he was and the way GMs like smart veteran players, would he still be in the league right now? He's 37 right now. 
So no, no, so just no, just, no. Just, I'm smiling because yeah. I could see a scenario where it would have completely changed the complexion of how you build that team, mm-hmm. right? And, and I'm, yeah, and, and so, and I'm not saying even with Dallas, just it, it just you think about Peverly and you think about the type of player he was. He's the kind and, of guy that Jim Neal would have definitely wanted on his team. And this, of yes. course, remember this is uh, this was going from you know Nils now the GM, right? He mm-hmm. acquires Peverly, and. Yeah, I mean, yeah. some of the other moves might have not precipitated. The other thing, Sean, that stands out is that this team was fast, right? Yeah. Uh, there, it's not the 15-16 team fast, which was just ridiculous. But there's a lot of speed built up and down this lineup. Yeah, there is, and they moved the puck. They moved the puck pretty well as a forward unit. Obviously, I think um, having is interesting going from this watching this season compared to the one we watched last week. Right. The defensemen moved the puck so much better as as a, as a team the week prior, but they they still had the team speed as an offense uh, with their forward group and everything, um, and it was uh, it was it wasn't it wasn't up and down as much as we eventually saw with Dallas, right? But, but it it's was pretty def- it was, it's pretty it north was, south, isn't it? Yeah, and it was entertaining. So it is. Um, yeah, they do play a, a faster style than we've seen the last couple of years with you know Hitch and Monty being the coaches, and then now Rick Bonus. So yeah. Dougie Hamilton scores. Uh, no, Milan Lucic scores. Well, uh, he, yes, he gets credit for it. It's hard to see. So yeah. essentially, after the super slow mo, he might have gotten a tip on it. But Dougie Hamilton fires a shot from the point. Yeah. It, it, there's a huge trap. You know, mess of bodies in front. It looks like Lucic gets a touch on it. It's about 12 minutes into the third period. Boston takes a 2-1 lead, and after that. The garden is in full voice, and you can hear them chanting Sagan, Sagan yeah. every time he's on the ice. Again, I don't think it's. I mean, fans love Sagan in Boston. I just think it's a, it's a. You know, hey, we're fired up. the The Red Sox had just won the World Series, so Boston fans are feeling really good about their sports. And then everything gets extinguished because Vern Fiddler draws a penalty on Dennis Seidenberg. And Sean, you mentioned defensive movement. It starts because of a Goligoski stretch pass yeah. right up the middle of the ice. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's the right call. Like obviously, I mean, it, it's it's the right call. Like, Seidenberg who gets called for hooking on the play, I think. Yep. Um, and then uh, sets up. Was this Burns' only penalty shot of his career? No, it was his second because it flashed on the screen and good on the the broadcast for Fox Sports Southwest that he was a one for one career NHL penalty shot taker. This was his second. Oh, because the other one is the one where he fell, right? Um, and scored. Yeah. So, Which was about, I think Ralph had said on the broadcast about five years prior. Yeah. And, he, and either way, this is, this is a, this is a more of a goal scorer's goal than you would typically expect oh, from Vern. So it's gorgeous. So here's the funny thing, Sean, about this Vern Fiddler comes in with speed. He's a left-handed shot. So he comes in, to the left side of the center line and then he goes directly forehand to his backhand and is able to just beat Tuka Rask's glove to that post and lifts it over it and scores. I mean, it's fast. It's aggressive. It looks gorgeous. And he's now two for two in his career. There's less than three minutes to go in regulation. They tie it and they force overtime. But one thing you and I have talked about this before Vern Fiddler at one stage of his career in hockey before he got to the NHL was the highest scoring player on his team. He had to reinvent himself to realize how he yep. could have a productive NHL career because 
there were other guys that were even better skill-wise, but it's not like he didn't have skill. Yeah. No, he, he, it's kind of the classic, how do you have to be, I mean, a lot of the guys, not everyone, but most of the, most of the guys on an NHL roster, at some point in their life, they were the best offensive player in their respective teams, city, whatever you want to use as a quantitative d- definer. They were the best. And eventually, you there's going to be guys who are better. And so how do you find those other things? We talked about Peverly quite a bit. And we're going to talk about him again soon. <laughs> he made his career, obviously, finding that way to to to, to, to stick in the NHL and be that yep. guy. And, and that's why I can't even mention, I wonder, would he still have been in the NHL that much longer earlier? Yeah, um, I would I would say it would be, if, if he hadn't had the issue with his heart, it might have come down to how... Was his body just felt overall because as you get into your mid thirties, you start to go, I don't know if I have the desire to keep putting myself through this. I think he's one of those guys that's quick enough, right? He's he's. I think he the the speed of the game wouldn't have passed him by. I know he wouldn't have been as fast as he was in twenty fourteen if he was playing at twenty twenty, but I think that he would have been able to adapt enough. I mean, and and be impactful, especially because he's so good in faceoffs, right? He sees the ice well. There are specializations within that that he could still do. Like, for example, on this team, Sergei Gonchar was on the team. Great puck mover. You could see how smooth he was, even though he looked like he couldn't bend his knees at all, right, of his age. But you could see how calm he was with the puck. It was the without the puck that was the problem at that point of Sergei's career. Yeah. It, it, it was interesting because you have Sergey, and there's, and also in this game too, you have, have another. And I'm going to say this real quick before we get to the, sh- to the shootout. You have another. Lucic is is still. I, I always it's always marvel, and I remember seeing this when we were in Calgary this year, just watching him during morning skate. Lucic has is there's there's certain players you look at their body type when you skate, and you don't need to see a number or anything, and you know. Yes. Oh, that's that. That's that guy for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Lucic is one of those guys, and he was the one who. Obviously Did you kind notice of... that he moved? Uh, we were remarking about how guys like Jamie Ben move back then mm-hmm. compared to now. Lucic was all over the place. He flew. He he was a faster yeah. skater. He had stick skills. Now it just seems like he lumbers straight oh, lines. Pretty much, that's what he has. It's a difference. Now. Um, so. Alex Chason was on the Stars back then, and he got away with one, Sean, where he batted a puck they were trying he was trying to swat it out of midair in his own zone into the crowd very late they didn't call a penalty and he got away with one because it was after fiddler's goal it could have given boston a late power play and that could have been a real danger for the stars but they got away with that yeah so they go to overtime and the the funny note about overtime is it's four on four overtime not three on three yep what did you think about that because for four on four this was actually a pretty entertaining and overtime, it wasn't the clogged up stuff we normally saw with four on four. It was so. It was. It was. It was a more entertaining enough four on four where it's not like you watched and says, "Man, I missed three on three. Like that's just going <laughs> to give you an idea. A lot of times you would watch the four on four and the clogging and things like that, and and you would, how the coaches kind of coached it into becoming a shootout. That wasn't the case here. There were still chances. There was still opportunities. Um, obviously, three on three would have been fun but this was um 
It was it was good. Beautiful. It was a good yes. over. I mean, it was a nice microcosm of the game. There were yes. chances both ways. It was wide open. Both teams went for it. They weren't sitting back, and I like that. Yeah. So we go to the shootout, and we got to see an old favorite of ours, the dry scrape. Oh. Fortunately, yep. it wasn't the entire ice sheet, but geez, Sean, like I get why they would do it to try to make the moves better, but oh, it just killed all. Like having to wait five or six minutes for the zambonis to cut a bunch of swaths of, of dry ice. Like, it's just, it was terrible. Yep. Well, I mean, yeah, it was bad. Nothing was quite as bad as the AHL dry scrape that you guys had to deal with after I got to Dallas and you were still down in Cedar Park. You, you'd have seven minutes before overtime started. It was terrible. Oh, talk about like, buzzkill. All right, yeah. so shootout. Bergeron score, goes first. Nice move where he goes a little bit to one side and then goes back through the five hole of Kari. Uh, Rass stops Ben. Kari then makes a nice save on Aginla, and then Tyler Sagan scores. The crowd's all over him, and this was sinister. I actually remember. So I actually remember when we picked this game. So I remember watching this game on TV actually down in when I was living in Cedar Park at the time. Like I actually remember watching this game, and the you see the like I remember. It's funny how how watching something brings memory back. Mm-hmm. Like I remember, I remember making a joke at the time or remarking while I'm watching the game. Was like, oh, that must be in the scouting report. High side blocker bar down. He's weak right there. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, like. Oh, I remember yeah. remarking like that's a, like uh, he knew that he knew <laughs> clearly in the scouting report from being Tukarask's teammate. <laughs> I mean, he, he did that with such confidence and authority. You, It was like there was no hesitation. He knew exactly what he was going to yeah. do. And then he did something which was on such an elite level that he knew most players don't have that shot, that quickness, that release, the ability to elevate that fast. I mean, that was an elite level shot. It, he could it just – yeah. everything about it screamed unstoppable unless you happened as a goalie to know he was going there so you can have your blocker higher than normal to try to block that. I mean, it's it was vicious. Yeah. Um, so then Kari stops Louis Erickson. Uh, Chason goes, gets a shot. Rask stops him. David Krejci had room up high but shot it over the net. And that set up Rich Peverly. And the thing that stood out about this goal, Sean, was he attacked... Tuka Rask, just like Vern Fiddler did in his penalty shot, with speed, and it's something that you talk about as a goalie all the time, is the most difficult for a netminder as a player coming at you on a breakaway or penalty shot with speed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's and that's a, he gets him moving. Um, it's actually funny that Pever, I mean, Peverly had t- took about three or four shootouts in this season. I had looked up the stats after we watched this game. I had wondered, just like looking back at hindsight, I was like, I wonder, like, uh, because he had scored on the earlier penalty shot, I'm sure there's some coaches that would have said, oh, we'll go back to Vern Fiddler. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I so, wondered about that. And and maybe if he did, maybe Peverly doesn't score here and this goes into a fifth round, maybe it does go to that. But uh, Peverly comes in with speed. He gets Rask to basically open up and he gets moving and, and finishes it off. And I know that's that's a goal for... It's it's kind of weird to say, but that may have been the last. It's one of the last big goals of Rich's career. Ooh, like it's it's yeah. it's kind it's kind of a weird way to think about that because obviously the stars. He I'd have to. I mean I, I don't know. I'd have to go through and look at the game log before he, before his injury. But 
this was as far as going back to the place that traded you away, winning and winning, winning against your former team and scoring a big goal like that, even in a shootout. Like this, like you look at kind of, it's kind of a, it's kind of a weird thing to think about. People probably know what, obviously, no one had any idea at the time. This would be one of the last big plays highlight real plays of rich Peverly's career that's weird to think about but it's true and it just i mean look on a on a more sentimental note it's wonderful that we have rich still today right that he's he he's alive for his wife and his Mm -hmm. his kids that we are able to see him as a player development coach for dallas a coordinator for that i mean all these things are wonderful and i don't think anybody would want to trade that for more rich Peverly on the ice. I'm sure nobody would. Right. So it's yeah. wonderful that he's alive and, uh, and you get to, we got to see rich on the 2011 Bruins zoom that we were talking about along with Sagan and some of the other guys that won the cup with the Bruins. I'm really glad first and foremost, that he's still there, but it does make you wonder because he was such a good, smart player. Could he still be playing? Would have been fun. Yeah, would have been fun. So the Stars right, sneak one out in a shootout in Boston. Sagan and Peverly's first game after the trade. That is our classic rewind of this week. I have a feeling, Sean, based on what the, we have recording coming up, that we may need to get into the '99 Cup run pretty soon because uh, I'm eager to start watching some of those games that they've been showing on Fox Sports Southwest. However, up next, it's time to talk a little Stephen John's news. Segment three of the Quarcast. Once again, we look at our clocks and go, man, we could just talk all day. We should try to shorten this. Maybe it won't uh, scare off all the listeners that take a week to get through it. Well, it's the quarantine. Maybe it's okay, Sean. Maybe. But then again, I'm sure there's a lot of people that would normally listen to something like this, like on their commute, and there are no commutes. That's a good point, too. Of course, if there were commutes, we probably wouldn't be doing this on a weekly basis because we'd be doing it for road games or home games or yes. something like that. Yeah. yeah. You had an interesting article and you guys have been very busy and I'm sure that's part of the athletics intent is to keep things rolling as much as possible in spite of the lack of activity to cover. And earlier this week you spoke with stars defenseman, Stephen Johns 
and we wanted to touch base on it a bit because it was not the full pull back the curtain tell all that I think everybody would like to hear from him at some point, just because everybody wants to know. I mean, you know, inquiring minds, but he did get a little bit deeper into some of the things he dealt with, with his year and a half of fighting with post concussion syndrome, as he calls it post-traumatic headaches was something that the team made an official announcement for. Uh, and, and has been referring to, but basically dealing with a lingering head issue that kept him out of hockey for almost two seasons. Yeah, and it's something where we've used post-traumatic headaches. That's the term we've used, and that's the term that Jim Nill used. That's the term that coaches use throughout his absence. And Stephen doesn't dispute that term, but he uses post, post-concussion syndrome, which... Um, there's also a part, key part, though, where in my conversation with Stephen, where he says he talked to countless doctors and they all said post-concussion syndrome. But there's a part in there where in our conversation where he says we're essentially along the lines of, but who, but who really knows? And maybe then someday that's that's a full story for another someday, sometime or another day. And and that just kind of because we've gotten all these slices. Uh, the Stephen John story is, for, for starters, it's Stephen's to sto- story to tell when he wants to tell it, um, and th- that's kind of been one of just to kind of peel back the curtain a little bit from my approach on this. That's kind of been the approach I've had with this on the whole time. I've kind of made it known to Stephen that whenever he wants to tell that story, we'll tell that story. We don't press him about it. We don't push him about it, but. Whenever he wants to tell that story, I'd like I'm willing to be the outlet to tell that story. That's kind of just kind of peel the curtain back of how where things have been with Stephen Johns and why um, and a why we probably don't have the story yet because he doesn't want to share it yet. And and we've gotten little slices here and there. There was the first game back when he played against Minnesota, and we get the the teary eyed uh, talking about how hard it was, but. All it was was how hard it was. We just see that emotion. We see the game, the goal at the at Madison Square Garden when his parents are there, and we see some of the emotion there. So we kind of got some of these physical cues of obviously how difficult and how tough this life, that part of life, had been for Stephen Johns. And this was kind of the first time he's kind of given more of some more finite details. Obviously, there's way more and everything like that. But as far as he, t- he told me how. When he was he would work out. How when he worked out during this, it would just get worse. He worked harder, it got worse. It was one of those where it was. So how do you how do you how do you deal with that? Where your entire life you've been oh I'm going to work hard, work hard, work hard. Well, if you work hard, it's just getting worse. Um, if his heart rate got to a certain level, his body would just quote unquote shut down. That's what he said. His body would shut down when his heart rate got to a certain level. He couldn't work out. Um, he dealt with and Stephen, someone who dealt with he had never dealt with his entire life before, and is now dealing with depression and anxiety for the first time. These very thing, these uh, these these mental things that it's hard for someone who has dealt so much in life with. I, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do these these physical side of things to deal with those things was tough, and so we kind of got more of a glimpse into that through this. And to me, one of the fascinating things, one of the reasons I had talked to Stephen in the first place. And I didn't know that we were going to end up going deeper on this, but one of the things was how much something like video games actually were a big part of his recovery. Um, and not and just not just as an escape. 
Yes. Yeah, not just as an escape. I mean, there was there's some, and I'm sure this is something we'll discuss whenever that time is to tell the full story. You talked about how there's some doctors who looked at video games as it's a good way to train the mind and, and to train the mind and, and, and get work on the eye-hand coordination. But two of the big things for Steven that it really did was you see how he plays. He likes to hit people, right? He doesn't uh, shy away from the physical side. Yeah, and so the video games outlet A gave him something competitive to do. It allowed his allowed him to stay competitive, allowed him to do this. It also allowed him to – it was the complete mental escape from Latin get out of his head. And one thing that I thought was interesting was he talked about how he'd be playing online with people who had no idea who he was and just playing video games for a couple hours, talking to those people who don't know he's a hockey player, don't know what he does, just talking about the game – it was just a release and an escape and just kind of he found he'd always been Stephen had been big into video games since college and like actually I think I just saw the press release today whenever the, the him and Jamie Alexiak yep. are the are the tandem for the stars uh, NHL 20 tournament and uh, but they uh, but so it had always been something interesting but this kind of gave him a deeper insight deeper connection into another kind of world for him that he's really had his foot into and it just kind of took an even deeper dive into it and helped him get through this. And kind of, it takes you into the future now of it's something where Steven Johns wants to do something in the esports world. One of his best friends is someone he only met through video gaming. Uh, and it's something where we see, I mean, he did some, he played with the guys from the Dallas empire, the esports here team in Dallas did with a team called, I believe the name is optic in LA. The team's in LA. He was here in Dallas and now, um, I also thought it was interesting too, just to kind of go on a little bit of a tangent here, just to, it's something where it's something that connects him to other hockey players, like him and Alexiak are playing tonight, um, with the, with, through the NHL challenge, uh, him and Austin Zarnick are, are play frequently, who plays is now with, Cal, with the Calgary Flames, um, but the stars as a whole are not a bunch of gamers. I mean, there was a time two years ago, I believe, where Tyler Sagan even told Bad Radio, we're not going to have guys bring video games on the road. Um, and That was back during the, I mean, not that Fortnite isn't still a popular yeah. game, but that was when it was really a craze. Yeah, and Stephen Johns is someone where he said, no, absolutely, I bring the Xbox every trip. He's playing video games on every trip. And it, so it's just, it was kind of gave us this insight and this look into Stephen Johns' world. Yep. And some of the past that we hadn't had before, and um, and, and personally, just to kind of once again peel back the curtain on things, it's something where personally I'm I'm happy to have that type of piece where we've shown we can be delicate to his situation and we can be careful about hey, this is someone's story to tell when it's time to tell, and at the same time we can also learn more at the same time, and that's just kind of a little bit more of a from my own perspective, thinking about it now, as I look back on the piece of, Hey, we have, we can give space, but we can still tell stories at the same time. If that makes any sense. One of the things when I was reading your article about this, that stood out to me right away. And fortunately you followed right up and I'm sure you were noticing as well was he mentioned he still has bad days now. And I immediately jumped at that thinking about, you know, headaches and post concussion syndrome, Uh physical symptoms, but he wasn't talking about physical symptoms. No, that was actually a big part of our conversation. That was actually the quick, the quick give and give and take in, in our conversation where he says, well, I still have my bad days now. And I, I had to ask right away, say, Hey, I'm not, we're not prying deeper here, but 
when you say bad days, are you talking about, is it related to the headaches? Right. Is it related to the concussion? And, and he said, no, it's, it's not, it's not a physical thing. It's, it's the stress and the anxiety and some of the stuff that comes back from thinking about it. And just yep. some of the thing where it's, cause this is something where he's out of the woods on it, but until you, but without having the full clarity of what and why and how and everything like that, it still leaves kind of a bit of that unknown factor. And also that, the worry of, could it come back? Yeah. So, right. Um, it, it, it just, it, it's, fascinating because obviously the human mind is and the brain is is something that's been studied extensively but there's a lot of things that we don't necessarily know about it trying to understand mental health and i think we're starting to trend a little bit more in the right direction about getting rid of stigmas about mental health issues and actually dealing with them rather than casting them aside but again you know when you play professional sports or even get youth sports a lot of times kids and and you know as you get up into the higher levels you're trained to push all of that pain and suffering aside and and power through it and you can't do that with something like what steven went through and i think one of the one of the most important things of the whole steven john story and it's something that i don't think the stars are going haven't got haven't gotten enough credit for because i don't think it's because we mentioned like last week we did our awards or was it last week or two weeks ago, whatever time. It was we were last doing, week. I know it blends we, together. <laughs> we mentioned Steve, we mentioned Steven should win the Masterton. And yes. the issue the issue at the time was and it still is the time, we still don't have the the long hey, this is what he went through. We don't have the we don't have the full story. We have part of it now, but we don't have that full story. Uh, I still because we don't have that full story, we don't the stars the, and the, we don't have the full story and we don't have for that reason, the stars don't get their full due on how well they handled this from a human side first and then a hockey side. I'm sure because, that's a story that you have waiting to, to write at some point. Yeah. Because that Jim Nill, uh, Jim Nill deserves a ton of credit for how he essentially let Steven Johns handle this. There was never, and there was never a moment where the stars went to Steven Johns and said, Hey, why don't you just give it a try? Just, just, just try there was never, there was never, and, and the fact that management and the GM approached it that way, therefore you, and that that became the tone. Stephen yeah. never, Stephen never got the text, and this also was a credit that goes to the player leadership group as well. There was never a point where it's not that anyone would do it, so I don't even want to say anyone's name, but it's never got to the point where a teammate would call him and say, "Hey, man, what, what are you doing? Just, right. just, just, just come play. like." Just play, and so which is the fact, way to handle it. But it's uh, we've heard of so many cases in years past, not with stars necessarily, but around sports, whether it's the NFL, you name yeah. it, of players having external and even their own internal pressure to get back in for fear that they won't get another opportunity to play there at the highest level. Yeah, so I I think that's something that needs to be said. Just how well the stars and Jim Mill handled this to kind of set that tone from the top down of we're going to treat this person first and then we're going to get Steven Johns back to being a human before we get him to be a hockey player. And obviously now it's, it's worked out. I mean, he, uh, he obviously, he came back, he played really well. Obviously there was a bit of that ramp up and in, in, in the minutes had to be kind of worked their way into it. But as he did that, I mean, he's come back and he's played at a level that is if, as good as if not better to what he was doing before the injury. It's encouraging to see. I can't wait to see more of, of his development, uh, whether it's, playing alongside Miro Haskinen or not. It sure seems like that's possible, but 
There's we talked about it before with Thomas Harley in the pipeline, how things are going to work. Do you have Alexiak and Johns play together as a monster ta- tandem? They already played esports together. Could they then do it more on the ice? They have some options, but it, it's really exciting from multiple levels to have yeah. Steven in that realm. We'll hit, we'll come back to that at a later time when he opens up even more about it. But up next, it's time for dun, 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 the lightning round. Final segment of this episode of the Quarcast is, of course, the lightning round. So as we wrap things up here today, we thank everybody for sending in your questions and comments. Keep them coming. Don't forget you can send it all week. Just use the hashtag Quarcast so we can find it so that we are not diving through mentions and this and that, and it's just easier. So everybody that's done it great, keep it up. Sean, why don't you lead it off for us? Yeah, so we'll start off with uh, from Ryan. Offside review must change, so I propose three alternatives. Computers slash cameras that auto-detect offside via flashing LEDs on the sideboards. Add an overhead slash catwalk linesman to assistant calls. Or his three, his choice, eliminate the antiquated rule altogether to open up the game. Ooh, what do you think? Let's, let's go three first here. No okay. offsides. Players can hunt and, and hang out and cherry pick. Do you like that? Um, I don't. I don't. I'd be fascinated to see what it looks like because, like, I, I, there there's certain places where I, I think it's great in theory, right? Like, there's there's certain times where I really like it in theory of like I want I just want I want the I want the puck mover to be on a rush. I don't want him to have to worry about waiting this this arbitrary blue right. line. Like like that that that's the point where I'm like, oh yeah, I love this idea. Then the other one though is like do I want do I want someone just do I do I want someone to when if you're on the power play Hypothetically, if you're on the if hypothetically if you're on the penalty kill, um, and do I want you to be able to? I guess you could just have them hang out at the opposite blue line. It'd be dumb either way. But like we were like, talking I, about this before, right? Yeah, like, do you well, let's say it's five on five. You yeah. decide to defend with four and have one of your best offensive guys stand at the far blue line. You could do it farther. Although if you have no offside, then maybe the goalie comes out and intercepts the pass, but. Would that be this sort of risky avant-garde style of, hey, we're going to absorb pressure and then just off the boards and the guy at the far blue line is just going to go get it and have a breakaway? Yeah, I mean, I guess you could, in theory, still do that right yeah. now, just in the neutral zone. I mean, um, I mean if you're really I, desperate for offense, you probably shouldn't be hemmed in your own zone, but just a thought. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I actually... I don't... 
I don't know. I'm not. I'm. I don't have a hard feeling about. I. I. I have to think about number three. I'm not really sure. Yeah. Um. um I don't like number two, a overhead linesman. Whether it's, I, think that, I don't think that does anything. Yeah. I mean, again, it's too fast to call. That's the problem. If you could get the technology, computers, cameras to auto detect it and have some way of alerting, whether it's a flashing LED or a tone in the earbud of one of the linesmen. Again, that's part of what the linesmen are there for is to make those calls. I mean, if you could get fewer of them, they still need to help separate I'd, scrums like, I, and stuff. I, I, but I, number, like, I'd be fine with number one if it worked because yes. it, it, it would be instantaneous. Like, I'd be fine, like, like, I'd be fine with one if it, if it worked and it was instantaneous because I think, in theory, that would also... That would that would that would get rid of all. You wouldn't even have goals after offsides because the play would be blown dead right away. It wouldn't right, and and that's and part so. of the problem of the of the flip side of sometimes I believe there are offsides whistled down which are yeah. really close that might actually be onside, but there's mm-hmm. no way to restart the play. Yeah. So again, that's a perfect world scenario of you have basically video game offside where it's a hundred percent accurate and instantaneous. I would love that. I don't see it happening anytime in the next decade, no. but that would be yeah. cool. Um, yeah. The one thing about Ryan's question, though, is that they are changing the rule, and we discussed this earlier on the Quarkcast a couple weeks ago, about going to the plane of the line, or at least that's the plan. I don't know if it's been officially confirmed or just a competi- competition committee recommendation for the Board of Governors, but I think that they're going to – it sounds like that it's going to happen – of going yeah. to the plane of the line instead of having your skates be on the ice. Yeah, yeah, we've talked about that before, and I'm, 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 I'm okay with it. It's not that really. It's. I don't it's think like, it changes that much. I don't think it. Cha- it's like we talked about earlier with that old Stars Bruins game where we talked about, oh, the nets are short. The, the nets are, are aren't as deep. Like, I think it's the type of thing where once we make the change, we'll talk about it a lot for five, six games, and then we'll stop talking about it. I agree. All right, Ardell has one that's definitely closer to my heart. <laughs> I t- he, he writes in, I tend to equate the northern U.S. states only with the cities I have been up there. Are rural New Englanders slash northerners more genteel and laid back than their urban Bostonian New York City brethren? Is Philly the nastiest sports city in America? Lots of different questions. Lots of questions there. So it depends on where you are because I think that if you have a stereotype of what a inner city, say South Boston or a Southie resident might be, sure. There are lots of differences, but you see just like any, I think of all the States I've lived in, there's a difference between urbanites and people in the suburbs, people that are in more rural areas and you get all kinds of people up there. Yeah. I mean, one thing I will say about the Northeast in general is having someone who also has someone who's from there, um, who's, I've now lived in the Northeast and then lived in the Midwest and a bit in Michigan and Ohio. And now the South. And, and now the South. Uh, life goes at a much faster pace up there. Yes. Um, and just in many, in many ways, just when it's go, go, go way more. And Especially that's, near New York. That's a, yeah. a very up-tempo place to live. Yeah, like I remember we moved from, as a kid, I was 14 years old when we moved from New Jersey to Michigan, and it was very, like it was, like every, like it was, it felt like laid back, like it felt like you were moving into like a vacation, like (laughs) mode, like that's just what it felt like, so. I don't know if, 
I could think of anybody, any other city that's nastier as a sports city than Philadelphia. I went to college in Philly. You're from New Jersey originally. Philadelphia and New Jersey are very close to each other. Of course, they're neighboring. You know, Philly is the southeast corner of Pennsylvania. New Jersey is a neighboring state. I had a lot of New Jersey residents as part of my college experience that went to where I went at Haverford and a couple of teammates from there. And I don't know, Sean. I mean, look, there are a lot of wonderful things about Philadelphia. Living there for four years, I, I really... I, I like Philadelphia a lot, the city. I really but like there are, as, as a overall sweeping generalization, pretty nasty sports fans in Philly. Yeah, it's fair. No, it's it's a fair stereotype. I mean, if you, um, if you boo Santa Claus and throw yeah. batteries on the field at a Phillies game and snowballs, well... Yeah. Snowballs, I feel like if you're at a football game and it snows, they're going to be snowballs. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, it's, I, I've, uh, I'll give it to Philly because I can't think of one that's worse. But I also think, but I also think a lot of times in our sports fandom too is, and, and, and in the way we look at sports fans is the outliers sometimes def- come to define everyone. And that's not always true. Right. And, and so, like, Remember, I know they're in, they're moving to Vegas for this coming season if they have a football season, but the Raiders fans have always been sort of tagged as, you know, in the black hole as being particularly nasty. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Maybe they're, they're, they're awful in that regard, but there are, there are probably plenty of great Raiders fans out there. That they're not all like that. And I agree with you that, that, you know, like there's great people in Philly. There are also some pretty nasty ones too. Yeah. Um... Crawdaddy, how strong is the Dallas-Idaho affiliation relationship? I've been up there many times to see the Steelheads games. Great venue and great fans. Could either of you see the Stars going with a closer team after next season? Um, so I, I mentioned it to him. On, I responded to him on Twitter just as a quick, but just to kind of reiterate and go a little bit deeper. One, the Dallas-Idaho affiliate relationship is really strong, even though even though it sometimes looks like it's like, oh, well, every year they just re-up it. I mean, it's been – it's the third – I believe right now it's the third longest relationship between an NHL and ECHL team in the league um, with, uh, with Wheeling and uh, – drawing a blank on the other one. The only other one's being longer with Wheeling with Pittsburgh and um, – and, but it's – not only is it the – the stars like Idaho. It's also there's a deep connection there between Stars assistant general manager Scott White, who is essentially is also the GM of the Texas Stars. Yep. There's a strong relationship there, um, and and to be frank, also as as we're there's really not a need to have your ECHL affiliate closer. Just to be honest, because you're not as as much as even while I'm sure there's a couple times where there there are a couple times and you would know this. There's a couple times where Hey, we're struggling to get. We, we need to get a goalie, and we have to use an emergency backup. The amount of times that does happen is is, is minuscule, and right, and 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 it's not like you need to be like, oh well, it's not like it's not like having someone getting someone to an AHL city AHL team right away is as important as getting someone to an NHL team right away. Just to be frank, um, and so and, and, and he, he, they talk about and he mentioned he mentioned about. Could either of us see the stars going with a closer team after next season? And, and just so I'll address the question that people have asked before, where people's like, "Oh, well, well, why aren't the stars affiliated with the Allen Americans?" Which is something that people have brought up before. Sure, um, frequently. A the stars 
don't have a need to be affiliated with Allen. They have they feel that they really like the development model in Idaho. Idaho has always run their team closer to a NHL, AHL style. Um, Allen, for example, the coaching staff there, and they've won games, and so this is not a, a knock against them because his job is to win games. But Allen is not known as a team that is as good at developing players, too. It, well, they also and, bring in more uh, – it, it's sort of like the independent AHL arguments mm-hmm. against a, a franchise like the Chicago Wolves, which is they want to win a certain – and have a certain, you know – model to do that which doesn't necessarily always behoove the yeah. prospects getting the time that the NHL affiliate wants. Yeah, and the other the other thing that's that's big right now too and just this makes the Dallas Idaho relationship actually even stronger. So the whole global pandemic actually makes it an even stronger relationship because in, in a sad way because unfortunately I've talked to people there's people who are worried that there's some ECHL teams that may not survive this stoppage yes and Idaho is one of them that is has a strong business has a strong city and is probably is in a pretty good spot to, to survive and still be there and and obviously it's a team that has made the playoffs every single year um, and having a relationship with that type of market as that league gets more murky of who's going to be and who's not going to be there in the future just makes it even stronger that you're going to kind of put your talons into saying this is our affiliate. Go to Galbagus who writes in my buddy. Uh, I actually have another one oh, in between. Did you see the oh, one from Brian? Yep, sorry, I skipped Brian. Brian, yeah. with the prospects of playing games with fans in attendance looking inc- increasingly remote even for next season, have there been any discussions about being able to attend games through virtual reality like the NBA did with Oculus this past season? It's not something that I've heard of on any sort of mainstream media coverage, but it wouldn't be a terrible idea. Again, I, I think that you're looking at sort of a niche kind of thing because I don't know I don't know the numbers here, Sean, but I'm guessing that most NHL fans don't have a VR platform to use. Yeah, and I also don't know um, I don't know how many arenas are fit to to actually host that because I, I also wonder if. I wonder if it's the type of thing where maybe so maybe you could do it in Dallas, but would you be able to? Do they have the setup in Raleigh, for example? Just like I don't, it seems to me be the type of thing where right. we want to get get it to all. Does everyone have it? So I don't know. It's a really good idea, Brian. Um, but I think right now it's not anywhere. Just to be clear, I don't think it's anywhere near the top of the list of the things being discussed right now. I think it's the type of thing that as they get to. Once they get to a point of, hey, here, we're going to have this, this season and we're going to play at this time and that time, that's when stuff like that becomes more important. Right now, I don't think that's even close to on the NHL's radar. The next question I was going to jump Brian by accident came from Gallup August. said, my buddy Raichu Rocks 99 and I have were discussing who the five best Stars head coaches were. That got me to wondering who the Quarkass host would pick as the five best head coaches in the Stars slash North Stars franchise. How well do you know the North Stars coaching franchise? Because that's not strong on my uh, in my mind. Um, I know it okay. I mean, it's something where I'm, I'm fascinated to see how far I'll be able to go on this. Just because well, it's, it's tough too because the North Stars, except with the exception of their one run to you know a Cup final, 
weren't a very good team because two, they were an expansion franchise. Sorry. Two, two runs. But you know what I mean? Like, for the most yeah. part, they weren't a really successful franchise year after year. You know, they, they also were... Went, they, yeah, and they went through a lot of coaches, too. Right. The ones for Dallas, obviously, um, you know, the, you notice the big ones, right? Ken Hitchcock in the 90s. Uh, Bob Ganey coached for a little bit before that. Yeah. Um, but I'm thinking of, you know, Hitch, followed by Dave Tippett. Um then you had Mark Crawford, Glenn Gullitson, Lindy Ruff was actually pretty stable for four years, and then uh, Hitch again, and then Jim Montgomery and now Rick Bonus. Am I missing anybody? Who was before? Was was uh, Bob Ganey was the first coach. He was the first, right? So there's nobody yeah. before Bob. Yeah. you have to go back well, to Minnesota for uh, that. The only the only one you're forgetting is there was uh, when Hitch got fired in 2002. Rick Wilson was there. That's right. Rick was the interim to finish off the year. Yeah. That's what I'm missing. Uh, so, I mean, t- t- I mean, well, for just to be frank, it's whether no matter what you think about his 2017-18 season, Hitch is number one. Well, he won I mean, a he couple won, of them. Yeah. He won the cup. He, I mean, he's – and and then after that, you have – like you take a look at kind of I think the stars for – while there were some dry – they didn't, they didn't win a cup or anything like that during that time, but I think Dave Tippett did a really good job with that team. Yes. Um, he. Um, now, some of that, Sean, is not the coaches that were their fault. Like a guy like Glenn yeah. Gullitson suffered from the lockout and uh, and even prior to that with Crawford and the end of Tippett with the team going into bankruptcy possibilities and the league running and not having an owner. And, you know, that, that – put a strain on all of them that's not like the heyday of when tom hicks was owning the team and and you know they were paying major salaries with hitch and and even the tippet years at the beginning so there's a very big distinction there yeah um i I would i mean i think it's 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 not a very long list like they've only got it's only there's only set there's only eight coaches right well not not sorry nine with 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 bonus so i mean you have it's it's the list is 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 is, if you're picking five it's got to be ken hitchcock it's got to be Tippett. um you're looking at you're looking at lindy and then then probably bob ganey and 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 jim montgomery i mean monty i think is a very good coach he just didn't have the longevity that everybody expected Because of yeah. some unforeseen circumstances, um, yeah, I mean, he'd be high on my list because I think he's a very good coach, and yeah. I think he would have built from last year on this season, and the stars would have been in pretty good shape. Obviously, the start this year was appalling yeah. for everybody, but I'd be very curious to see where the stars were at. I don't think it would have been much different with Monty versus Bones. Maybe some different personnel decisions. I always laugh at uh, Bones keeps speaking highly of Justin Dowling. And I know Dallas had some uh, untimely injuries this year, but Monty seems to trust and like Dowling a lot more than Rick Bonus does. Just, Correct. That's I mean, just my opinion from watching the usage. You that's know? true. No, I mean, so for me, but to get back to the original question, it was like, so to me, it's a top three. It goes, it goes Hitch, it goes, it goes Tippett, it goes, uh, it goes Bob Ganey, and then you're talking about after the top three, it's a whole kind of, do they? Where where do they fit? Either their tenure was too short, or they didn't win. And and like I think Bob Ganey deserves a ton of credit. Bob Ganey deserves a ton of credit for having the 
the uh, having the ability to say I am not the right yes. coach. Yes. Like he fired himself to to and just became the GM and hired Hitch as the head coach. So I think Bob Ganey deserves a ton of credit for I agree. being able to 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 say I'm not the right coach. So um, I think those are the three. I think Monty and I think Monty would be right. Jim Montgomery would kind of be in there. Um, he'd be he'd be on the list of four and he'd be he'd be in there but uh, it's not long enough of a list and there hasn't been enough success to really have a real debate over who's number one because it's easy yeah um you get another coach winning a stanley cup then you have a debate with yeah. he or hitch at that point um freebie quadcast have you guys by chance thought about putting the pod on more listening platforms like spotify I don't know how Spotify works, so... I'm guessing guess... you have to pay for that. I'm guessing that's not a free thing. Yeah, I mean, to be... I don't... I don't I'll be honest, I don't know enough how Spotify works. I, we put up... We load up the, uh, the feed, and we send it to the places that we can through SoundCloud, and that gets it into Apple, Apple and uh, a couple other... And Stitcher right. and a couple other ones. Um, to be honest, until we're making some more money or actually making any, any money, money <laughs> before we make, before we make, a, I'm not until we make a single cent on this uh, on this thing. Yes. I can't really think we about. Have, uh, this has only cost us time and money. It hasn't made yeah. us any. Yeah. <laughs> so that's it. Um, if we ever were to get to the point where this was in the black instead of in the red, then maybe we'd be able to expand our platforms. Yeah. Christian, thoughts on. Soccer teams in Germany already training for a potential return in May. Could you see the NHL following their steps when allowing teams to practice again, individual sessions, small groups, and then full training? Yeah, I think so. I, I think so, but I, I don't think – I think the NHL is going to be at more of a point where it's going to be, hey, here's everyone as a training camp. I don't think it's going to be – It's I don't harder think it's because be. they're not all in their – team cities right now they've yeah. spread out um mls franchises have for the most part quarantined their players in their host cities they've mm-hmm. started to allow some players if with have to have some exceptions of that and drive if they can get by car somewhere but i think they're all basically in like for example the fc dallas players are in dallas frisco area and they're training at home and that but they're here so if they needed to assemble a, a, a small-sided training, they're all there. NHL players scattered when they were told it's going to be a while. And so if even if they opened up the Comerica Center ice in Frisco for small workouts, the players are all over the globe. Yeah, and, and so I, I think you're going to be at a point where they're going to kind of wait. I, I just try to – and this is thinking aloud here – I don't think they're going to say, hey, we're going to open ice, guys can work. I think it's going to start because I think they're going to want to have as much control as possible. Yes. And so I, th- I think the league will be like, okay, hey, we're going to start training camp, and then everyone can get on the ice together um, as, a, as a team. Because I don't think – I think the issue you don't want to run into, just the thing they'll want to avoid, is you don't want to say, oh, hey, if you have ice near you, you can, you can work out. Because there's two – like, for example – and say Jason Dickinson's in Toronto, say, okay, well, I'm going to go work out with Jason Spezza in Toronto, and I'm going to work out with this guy. Right. And say one of them has, oh, one of dear. them is, is impacted, and then all of a sudden they bring that to another team. I think so much of this is going to be about control, and when it, if it does come back, it's going to be, okay, hey, we're all going to come into this one part where we can be sequestered to skate. So, 
All right, let's go to one more question because this has been, uh, once again, we thought we were keeping it in terms of a relative length and it uh, gets out of control. Sean, maybe yep. we'll have some discipline in future Quarkast to actually maybe. make this about an hour, hour 15, which is what the original plan was. But All right, but that being said, French Toast writes in, Viewing the first two stars 1999 playoff games has been fun. They've been on uh, Fox Sports Southwest this week. Actually, more of them have been. couple of questions. One, where is Darian Hatcher? Two, the refs call nothing. How did players survive an 82-game season of that barbarism? So, actually, the answer to both these questions, um, one is Darian Hatcher was suspended for the first five games of the playoffs. Yes. Um, because he broke Jeremy Roenick's jaw. It was actually the longest, the five-game suspension at the time was actually the longest suspension for playoffs in NHL history at the time. Um, the uh, So the, the other thing that was interesting to me, just kind of quick segue on that, one thing you'll notice from those game one and two, um, and I didn't watch them this week. Um, I don't know if you watched them this week, but I, I started I to watch game one of the first round against Edmonton. I watched about the first period, and the funniest thing about it was is that our old friend, Doug Lidster played in that game. and he, So I paused yeah. the TV when they were highlighting him because he had a really good shot from the point that almost got tipped in, and then he uh, had a great shift where he had a, uh, you know kept the puck in like four or five times in a row. And so I screenshotted, I took a picture of, of the TV, texted Doug, and you'll love his reply because I hadn't talked to Doug in a little while, and he, uh, he had a, an absolutely hilarious response, which was, I said, look at who almost created a goal on the first period bomb from the point and, and with the picture. And he goes, close as I got. Six minutes and call it a night. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh... <laughs> oh, um... Anywho. But the, actually, uh, it's the, funny the, you say that. I don't think Doug plays if Darian Hatcher wasn't suspended. No, he doesn't play. No, Because so... he was the veteran presence extra guy and... He always laughs about working on his tan during that playoff run. Yeah. So, but Hatcher's suspension also leads to, and this is something where, um, in that first round, Joe Newendike is wearing the C, and it just, and, and so this just brought up a random other thought. Um, we, I've seen different philosophies from different coaches. Some coaches, when your captain is out, you don't give out a C. You just have three A's. Obviously, this Hitch's philosophy in this was okay. Well. Darian Hatcher's not here, so yep. Joe Newendike will be the captain. I just, I for not to go too deep into this, but from your perspective, I just wanted to pick your brain on this. What do you think on the captain is injured or suspended? Do we go three A's? Do we do C? Well, what what is your thought on it? It really depends. Uh, I am of the sort of general thought of extra A's. Right, <laughs> there is only one captain. He's our guy. However, if you got to a point where you felt that the captain was gone, either injured for the season, although that, even that you still want to support him, but maybe called up and he's going to stick, right? Um, Curtis McKenzie was in that mold, mold no, a couple no, years no, ago. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about the NHL, though. But like, if you're, okay, so you're talking about the NHL. Yeah. yeah. I think you have one captain. I mean, yeah. it doesn't having another seat doesn't bother me, right? It really doesn't. But I don't know. I mean, it's it's symbolic anyway. There's a lot of other guys that show leadership in a team. I don't think you have to have another C 
the whole point of having the C in the first place is symbolizing what this particular player means to his team. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I'm on the same page of that. Where, I think so, no, yeah. Where minor leagues are different, but I'm talking about the NHL. I'm talking about the NHL where in like when Jamie Ben does not play a game, the starters do not give out another do not give out a C for that game. And I think that is the right thing to do. Yeah, I'm okay with that. It doesn't bother me. I, I if a team wanted to name another C, say hey, it's open cuz somebody like in soccer they have a captain's armband, right? Mm-hmm. They don't stitch it on the jersey, they wear it on yeah. their sleeve. And if the captain comes out of the lineup for a substitution, he hands it either to that player or to the the, the next high next man up that they feel you know deems worthy. I'm yeah. okay with that too because the captain is the one that is the most, uh, I guess, accepted to approach the referee to t- discuss controversy yeah. and decisions. I, I guess we don't see a ton of like we used to because you know remember in the old days, Sean referees almost never went to the bench to talk to the coach. So the captain would be sort of uh, unleashed or delegated out to go talk to the the referee and then report back. We don't see, I mean, obviously they stand by the scorer's table for explanations, but it's not quite, I mean, referees will go over and talk to the coaches a lot more than they used to. And I think that's actually a good thing. And they'll talk to everyone a little bit more than they used to. Yes. Also, like I think, and I think that's a good thing. I think, but that also like, nullifies some of the reasons why you have letters on your jerseys. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, I, there are some teams that have done the home and road captain before, and so if you had that, yes, give it the other guy. But in general, if if you've got the true setup of we have one captain, I don't think. And this is not, I mean, obviously the Stars went and won the Cup in '99, so it wasn't a big deal. But it was just, a, it's a random thought. Yeah. So, yeah. No, um, I mean. I, I, I won't lose sleep over it if a team does it either way, but I like I like adding another A. Yeah. Because I mean, again, it's your captain. If he's hurt, I don't think you he loses his spot as captain. Um and I don't well, I don't and, and think I th- that unless unless you trade him away or he's but, done, you know what I mean? But here's 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 actually a perfect example, I think, for if hypothetical situation, stars won the Stanley Cup, but Jamie Ben was not able to play in the cup clinching game. He's still getting the cup first. So unless he can't physically stand, yes, he should be. No, and so no, and so that's my. I think that's kind of that's. I think that comes to the end of the debate where your captain is is if it's hypothetical world in '99, if Darian Hatch is suspended for that game six in Buffalo, they win and he come he walks out on the ice or because uh, nowadays they have the extra scratches get dressed. Yeah. in the locker room so they can skate out in their gear and look yeah. and get the photo, you know, with yeah. the team, hold it, hoisting the cup. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I think you're right on that. Yeah, so um, I guess this is just to, to close things out, the second question from French Toast was, the refs call nothing. How did players survive an 82-game season of this? Well, it was it – also, the refs actually called things during the 82-game season. Like, as, as much as it was – more rough and tumble and more clutchy and grabby. There's a lot more physical nastiness, it feels like. And it was. And it was that way during the regular season, too. But it, this is also a classic example of what the rules are for game A1 through 82 are different for game 83 oh, and 84. I hate that so yeah. much. It, it bothers me, right? Because yeah. just call a penalty. If a guy trips a guy, call it. If he hooks him, if he impedes him, it, it doesn't matter. And I, I hate... And there's so many people say, oh, you can't call that. It's the playoffs in overtime. That's not a penalty. It should be a yeah. penalty 
like imagine other sports where the rules are straight. Like I have a big issue with balls and strikes in baseball. Oh, that that might have been a strike in the first inning, but not in the twelfth inning of the World Series. It should be clearly defined. It's a box, yeah. right? Like, come on. Like, ten yards is a first down in football. It shouldn't suddenly be nine yards because it's the playoffs. Yeah, no, I agree. All right. Oh. Well, that's a great lightning round. Thank you all for your questions and comments. Sean, do you have any uh, last words to tie a bow around this one? No, I don't. Um, so uh, hopefully, uh, <laughs> very just inspirational. A, per, just a, a personal note for next week. Hopefully, we're better on our, on our time frame. Yeah, we'll work on that because uh, we could spend a lot of time talking about what we've been doing around the house. A lot of uh, honeydew list and home repair with the extra time. All right. And with that, we're even long uh, closing out. So everyone talk to you next week. What a terrible (laughs) outro. See everybody. (laughs)